This is the Best Song Podcast, an oral history of the first 90 years of the Academy Award for Best Original Song. The Best Song Podcast was made possible by the generous support of the following. Paulus Edukas, Terry Freerks, Tina Fry, Jeff Glazer, Mark Hollingsworth, Douglas Meacham, Mark Smith, The Sokolov Family, Colin Stokes, Adrian Quinn Washington, and Ben Watson. Follow the show on Twitter at Best Song Podcast, where you can participate in polls, talk about your favorite movie songs, and dive deeper into the rich history of movie music. Let's settle in now for another year in movie music with host Jeff Cummings. Hello there, and thanks for being here today. When Dmitry Tiomkin and Ned Washington wrote the song High Noon for the film of the same name in 1952, it wasn't the first time that a song had the same name as the film in which it appeared. But it was the first to be a big hit, and the first so-called title song to win the Academy Award. Sometimes it takes a while for a trend to take hold, but it was only two years later that Hollywood began to see the possibilities behind writing title songs instead of trying to fit a hit song into the body of a non-musical film and hoping it worked. Three Coins in the Fountain and Love is a Many Splendor Things were hit title songs, and by 1959, Hollywood songwriters were almost always looking for ways to turn the title of a film into a hit song. Or, in some cases, the songs they wrote convinced the studio to change the film's title to match the song. In 1959, three of the songs nominated for the Academy Award were title tunes. That's just one shy of the record of four title tunes nominated in 1957. And remember that the one song that wasn't a title tune, All the Way, was unsuccessfully campaigned to be the new title of Frank Sinatra's movie. So let's start this episode by hearing the three title songs nominated in 1959. The first one uses the template that High Noon created, not only because it's in a western that stars Gary Cooper, but because the lyrics in the song give a little summary of the upcoming events of the movie as we see Cooper on his horse riding through the countryside. Written by Jerry Livingston and Mac David, The Hanging Tree is performed in the film by country singer Marty Robbins and is much more upbeat and optimistic than High Noon. Livingston uses electric and acoustic guitars to create the same pulse that Dmitry Tiomkin used with the synthesizer in High Noon, but Livingston's music will get your feet tapping. I came to town to search for gold And I brought with me a memory And I seemed to hear the night and cry Go hang your dreams on the hanging tree Your dreams of love that could never be Hang your faded dreams on the hanging tree I searched for gold and I found my gold And I found a girl who loved just me And I wished that I could love her too But I'd left my heart on the hanging tree I'd left my heart with the memory 
And a faded dream on the hanging tree. Hanging tree. Now there were men who craved my gold and meant to take my gold from me. When a man is gone, he needs no gold. So they carried me to the hanging tree to join my dreams and a memory. A memory. Yes, they carried me to the hanging tree. The hanging tree. To really live, you must almost die. And it happened just that way with me. A tree of hope, new hope for me. A tree of love, new love for me. The hanging tree. The hanging tree. The hanging tree. Every new mining camp's got to have its hanging tree. Makes folks feel respectable. Marty Robbins is not the singing voice of Gary Cooper's Doc Frail in this opening credit song, since Frail is not coming to Montana looking for gold. He is likely the voice of the hundreds of men who come to the small town looking for gold, looking for love and fortune, while also looking to the title tree as a symbol of hope. But Robbins does sing for Frail in the end, after Frail has been taken to the hanging tree to pay for murdering one of the townspeople, played by Carl Malden. Frail's love interest, played by Maria Schell, offers up her own gold to free Frail, which works. We hear the guitar melody from the song lead into new lyrics as we see Cooper and Schell together. The words that Marty Robbins sings sums up exactly what we're seeing on screen, and I'm happy for the excuse to have a reprise of this very catchy song. Elizabeth! You really live, you must almost die. And it happened just that way with me. They took the gold and set me free. And I walked away from the hanging tree. I walked away from the hanging tree. And my own true love, she walked with me. That's when I knew that the hanging tree was a tree of life, new life for me. A tree of hope, new hope for me. A tree of love, new love for me. The hanging tree, the hanging tree, Robinson's version was recorded for commercial release and barely broke into the top 40 on the Billboard charts in early March 1959. Around this time, the demand for this type of song was much lower than when Tex Ritter sang High Noon in 1952. Rock and roll and love ballads were selling, not variations on a previous hit. 
but Marty Robbins was doing well on the country and western music charts in 1959 as his song El Paso went all the way to number one. Livingston and David haven't had an Oscar nomination since writing Bibbidi Bobbidi Boo for Cinderella back in 1950, but they had been writing a lot of songs in the nine years between, mostly for Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. The one Martin and Lewis movie that produced an Oscar-nominated song happened to be the one that Livingston and David didn't work on, and that was The Caddy. When Martin and Lewis split up in 1956, Livingston and David had to look elsewhere for songwriting work. They found it on television, writing theme songs for Shirley Temple's variety show, as well as the shows Lawman, Bronco, Bourbon Street Beat, and The Roaring Twenties. After submitting the theme song for The Hanging Tree, the two went back to TV, and one of their most lasting contributions was the theme song for The Bugs Bunny Show in 1960, called This Is It. With the show running for more than 15 years and first run in syndication, it became one of the most popular children's songs. The next title song we'll hear comes from the Danny Kaye musical The Five Pennies, in which he plays the real-life cornet player Red Nichols. Some of the songs in the film were actually performed by Nichols and his band in the 1920s. But of course, there had to be an original song or two to boost the film's chances of an Oscar nomination. Kaye's wife, Sylvia Fine, had been his songwriter for many years and continued to do so even as he became a superstar. Remember that she had planned to write the songs for his movie Hans Christian Andersen back in 1952, but was replaced by Frank Lesser. Fine was not going to be muscled out of writing songs for The Five Pennies, and she contributed four tunes for the film, including the title song. Kay sings The Five Pennies for his young daughter one night when she refuses to go to sleep. It's a very gentle song performed in a very pink hotel bedroom, where Kay sings of the different properties the five pennies have, including the ability to dance and make wishes come true. The song's title is also a play on Red's last name, Nichols, which amounts to five pennies. This little penny to wish on and make your wishes come true this little penny is to dream on and dream of all you can do this little penny is a dancing penny see how it glitters and it glows as bright as a whistle, light as a thistle, quick, quick. 
quick as a wink <laughs> up on its twinkling toes. Oh, this little penny is to laugh on, to see that tears never fall. This little penny is the last little penny, and most important of all. For this penny is to love on, and where love is, heaven is there. So with just five pennies, if they're these five pennies, you'll be a millionaire. Danny Kay really is at his best when he's singing songs for children, just like he did in Hans Christian Andersen. His performance is very reminiscent of Bing Crosby at the height of his career when many of his popular songs were lullabies or songs accompanied by children. Remember that two of those songs won Oscars for the songwriters. If Sylvia Fine were to win this Oscar, she'd join Dorothy Fields as the only two female Oscar-winning songwriters, which is still a shocking statistic even as we approach the 1960s. Alfred Newman had no shortage of Oscars, having won eight Academy Awards for writing scores or adapting scores from Broadway shows. He had made the music in 20th Century Fox films some of the best Hollywood would present in the 1940s and 1950s, with Newman either writing the scores or handing them out to many of his protégés as head of the 20th Century Fox music department. Newman figured that after 20 years, it was time to hand the reins over to someone else who could move the music department into the new decade. His brother, Lionel, was part of that personnel change, so the Newman name was still strong at Fox. Alfred Newman's final film with 20th Century Fox was The Best of Everything, a fitting title for Newman's swan song if there ever was one. Newman handled the underscore for the film and teamed up with Sammy Kahn to write the title song. Director Gene Negulesco enjoyed having Johnny Mathis appear for a scene in his film A Certain Smile in 1958, and asked for Mathis to sing the best of everything for the opening credits. It starts as a tender love song with a female backing chorus and sweeping strings that says love and the thrills that come with it are the best of everything. But there is a twist as the song continues, singing of an ill-fated love that threatens to ruin the hopes of love. And then there's a bit of satisfaction that at least there was some love to be had. Yes, he's the 
the one it seems But soon it's done And not the fun it seems You walk through the night Just groping It's still follows three secretaries at a publishing firm where the best of everything is at every employee's disposal, from great pay to the best contacts to help them advance their careers. The best of everything, it seems, also includes skirt-chasing bosses and an ice-cold editor played by Joan Crawford. It's pretty much a two-hour soap opera, full of melodrama and lots of failed romances. Hope Lang plays Caroline, newly arrived to New York, and on the way up at that publishing firm. She's just been dumped by her fiancé, and through the course of the movie, has an up-and-down relationship with one of the company's editors, played by Ben-Hur villain Stephen Boyd. By film's end, when she's a successful editor, she finally accepts Boyd as a love interest, and a chorus reprises the final verse of The Best of Everything. Particularly noteworthy is the line, Love can be all or nothing, but when it's nothing... It's still the best of everything.
Alfred Newman was leaving 20th Century Fox, but he wasn't retiring. In addition to the nomination he received in 1959 for writing the score to The Diary of Anne Frank, Newman will go on to collect five more Oscar nominations in the next 11 years to bring his official total to 42 in a span of just 32 years. Sammy Kahn was trying to catch Newman in terms of Oscar nominations, and earning two song nominations in 1959 certainly helped his tally. Nomination number two for Kahn in 1959, and his 16th so far, was another song for Frank Sinatra called High Hopes, which appeared in the latest Sinatra picture, A Hole in the Head. And he's back with composer Jimmy Van Heusen, who scored nomination number seven. After a relatively tough year for their songs in 1958, Van Heusen, Kahn, and Sinatra felt they had a hit on their hands with high hopes. After trying hard to find respectability as a dramatic actor in the three years since winning an Academy Award for acting, Sinatra decided it was time to make moviegoers smile with him for a change. And it is a nice change after playing a drunk entertainer in The Joker is Wild and an aimless war vet in Some Came Running. Sinatra plays a widower with an 11-year-old son named Allie, played by Eddie Hodges. Playing a father is a big change of pace for Sinatra, but Hodges is about the same age as Sinatra's youngest daughter, so Sinatra knows how to be around kids. Sinatra's character, Tony, is always dreaming big, and he tries hard to convince those around him to dream big with him. That's where High Hopes comes in. He's at the lowest point in his life, about to lose his hotel to debts, and about to lose his son, who is being suggested to move in with his wealthy aunt and uncle in New York. He's trying to console his son on the beach, and the song performance comes naturally from their conversation. Sinatra and Hodges sing about an ant trying to dig up and move a plant, and a ram trying to bust a hole in a dam. There isn't much musical accompaniment, especially since the scene is on a beach and not in a nightclub, for example, and it's Khan's lyrics that are front and center. Oh, I like you looking better. You look much better that way without the tears in your chin on the... Remember that song we used to sing about the chin on the ground? How did that go? Um... The ant song! Yeah. Next time you're found with your chin on the ground, there's a lot to be learned. So look around. Just what makes that little old ant think he'll move a big rubber plant? Anyone knows an ant can't move a rubber tree plant, but he's got high hopes. He's got high hopes. He's got high in the sky apple pie hopes. So anytime you're feeling low, instead of letting go, just Remember the ant, oops, there goes another rubber tree plant. Oops, there goes another rubber tree plant. Oops, there goes another rubber tree plant. When troubles call and your back's to the wall, there's a lot to be learned. That wall could fall. Once there was a silly old ram. Thought he'd punch a hole in a dam. No one could make that ram scram. He could button that dam. Cause he had high hopes. He had high hopes. He had high apple pie in the sky. 
time you're feeling low. <laughs> Just remember that ram. Ah. Oops, there goes a billion kilowatt dam. Oops, there goes a billion kilowatt dam. Oh, you better have high hopes. Keep your high hopes. Keep those high apple pie in the sky. Hopes are problems, just a toy balloon. Another problem, Kerplop. Oops, there goes another problem, Kerplop. Oops, there goes another problem, Kerplop. Kerplop. Allie calls the song they sing the ant song, and I instantly thought about Swinging on a Star, which won Van Heusen his first Oscar. In that film, the kids call that song the mule song. And the story of creating high hopes came from a request to write a song for Sinatra to sing with his child co-star, just as the movie was almost finished filming. Like Swinging on a Star, animals are at the heart of this song. Van Heusen was quick to assure Sinatra and Khan that he wouldn't create a melody that would instantly remind viewers of Swinging on a Star, and it feels like he succeeded. All ends well at the end of the movie, sort of. Tony is still looking for that big break, but he sticks with his son and might end up with the beautiful Eloise. As they run along the beach, a chorus takes the final few lines of high hopes as we close out the film. Eddie Hodges comes in with the last word. Oops, there goes another Frank Sinatra recorded High Hopes a few months later with a children's chorus, and that recording went as high as number 48 on the Billboard Hot 100 charts. The musical accompaniment is still minimal, giving the lyrics a chance to shine, though Van Heusen's Janzy Melody was able to move the lyrics along smoothly. Van Heusen and Khan felt that the other original song they wrote for the movie was better, but apparently their fellow members of the Academy's music branch didn't agree with them. The opening credits features Sinatra singing All My Tomorrows, an optimistic love song that promises good things between two lovers the next day when all the bad things will disappear. Just a dream or two But I've got lots of plans for tomorrow And all my tomorrows belong to you Right now, it may not seem like spring at all we're drifting And the laughs are few 
But I've got rainbows planned for tomorrow And all my tomorrows belong to you Yet another missed opportunity for two songs to be nominated from the same film. But the Academy's music branch showed that they had no love for All My Tomorrows, as it did not make it onto the list of the ten songs that followed preliminary voting. The fifth song nominee of 1959 comes from the Western film The Young Land. The on-screen credit calls the song The Young Land with the subtitle of Strange Are the Ways of Love. But every mention of the song outside of this opening credit calls it Strange Are the Ways of Love, which is why I'm not counting this as a title song. Randy Sparks, who had just released two folk albums in 1958 and 1959, handles the singing over the opening credits. On the one hand, it's the normal place to perform the quasi-title song, but it's also a bit weird. The pre-credit scene features Dennis Hopper shooting a Mexican man in cold blood before being arrested. Then, Sparks is heard singing a romantic song about ordinary things that seem more beautiful and powerful when two lovers see them. A rainbow colors the autumn sky So overpowering you want to cry, yet no one sees it but you and I. Strange are the ways of love. The sunlight touches a grain of sand. Those who are lonely don't understand. They say it's nothing. We say it's grand, strange are the ways of love. The hand of fate was long overdue, yet we were worlds apart. I never dreamed of being with you, now we're heart to heart. This is a young land, and young are we. We know how tender young love can be. But in my rapture, it seems to me, strange are the ways of love. Strange are the ways of love. That pulsing guitar and percussion might sound familiar. You might remember it from another western, High Noon, with music by Dmitry Tiomkin. And Tiomkin decided to create a variation on his High Noon theme for this film, with Ned Washington somehow able to put the film's title into the lyrics. The acting in this film leaves much to be desired, with lead actor Patrick Wayne not doing much to convince us that he's as good an actor as his father John Wayne. Dennis Hopper is the standout here, 
and at 22 years old, shows a lot of the acting style that would make him famous in the 1980s and 1990s. Dennis Hopper's trial for murder is the highlight of the film, but there is a love story to complement the film's love song. The local sheriff is in love with a Mexican woman, and in the end, they pledge their love for each other with Randy Sparks' words, the last ones we hear. This is a young land, and young are we. We know how tender young love can be. But in my rapture, it seems to me strange are the ways of love. Randy Sparks didn't record this song for commercial release. That honor went to Goji Grant, who had a number one hit in 1956 with The Wayward Wind. She had been a singing double on the cast album recording of Kiss Me Kate in 1959 for RCA Records, where she would hire to sing Strange Are the Ways of Love. Grant's recording is a more lush and traditional arrangement than the movie version, but it didn't help the song's public reception. The song was released in July 1958, where it didn't even crack the top 100 in sales or radio play. Thankfully for the song, Dimitri Tiomkin and Ned Washington are well known in the Academy's music branch, which likely helped their chances of getting the song nominated. Mandating that the music branch members watch the film clips with the songs certainly didn't hurt, giving it an equal chance with films that had a lot more success. I mentioned that Sammy Kahn and Jimmy Van Heusen were having a very good year in 1959 with the hit High Hopes. The two reunited with their old pal Bing Crosby, who was making another movie as a priest in the same vein as Going My Way and The Bells of St. Mary's. This time, the movie is Say One for Me, and he's not a priest at a school, but a priest in New York City trying to reform some wayward theater entertainers. The movie was a moderate hit, as many people flocked to the theater in opening weekend hoping for another going my way. When word got around that even Bing Crosby was phoning it in, attendance fell off quickly and Say One For Me made only $3 million. Con and Van Heusen had never been asked to write more than two or three songs for a movie, but this time they had eight songs to compose, including a title song with Crosby and Debbie Reynolds on the vocal. It was a vast undertaking that brought about some tepid songs and a couple of decent ones. The one song that picks up the film's tempo is The Secret of Christmas, which might have made me sit up a bit more because Bing Crosby was singing a Christmas song. It's very different from White Christmas, though. Crosby sings about trying to extend the spirit of Christmas every day of the year. Look at the happy people Christmas is in the air Well, I know the secret of Christmas A secret I'm willing to share It's not the glow you feel When snow appears 
It's not the Christmas card You've sent for years Not the joyful sound When sleigh bells ring Or the merry songs Children sing The little gift you send On Christmas Day Will not bring back the friend You've turned away So may I suggest The secret of Christmas Is not the things you do at Christmas time But the Christmas things you do I guess the music branch thought only one Bing Crosby Christmas song should be an Academy Award nominee. So our five nominated songs in 1959 are, in alphabetical order, The Best of Everything, The Five Pennies, The Hanging Tree, High Hopes, and Strange Are the Ways of Love. Three of those were title songs, and the music branch put two other title songs in its list of ten after preliminary voting. The first was the title song to the movie Gidget, the first in a series of movies featuring the blonde surfer girl from Southern California. Sandra Dee starred as Gidget, and her theme song is just as bouncy and effervescent as she is. She acts sort of teenage, just in between age, looks about four foot three. Although she's just small fry, just about so high, Gidget is the one for me. A regular tomboy, but dressed for a prom, boy how cute can one girl be? Although she's not king size, her finger is ring size, Gidget is the one for me. If she says she loves you, you can bet your boots she loves you. If she says she hates you, that can also mean she loves you. It very well may be She's just a baby Speaking romantically If that's a bad feature I'll be the teacher The Gidget is the one for me Jimmy Darren sings this song and plays Gidget's main love interest in the movie. Darren's Hollywood career started interestingly enough as an actor. Then he told the director of Gidget that he didn't need to lip-sync someone else's vocal for the songs his character would sing. And the rest is history. Darren had great success, mostly in television in the 1950s and 1960s, but his singing voice gave him a nice supplemental income. The song was written by Fred Carger and Patty Washington, who were collaborating for the first time. Gidget was a departure of sorts for Carger, who made it big with his score for the Oscar-winning Best Picture of 1953, From Here to Eternity. 
He would later work on a couple of lesser-known Elvis Presley films in the 1960s. Patty Washington was born Mildred Jackson, but changed her name when she began her career as a dancer and singer. She married Ned Washington, the Oscar-winning composer of When You Wish Upon a Star, and her contribution to the title song for Gidget is her only professional contribution to the music industry. The other title song that just missed out on an Oscar nomination was Pillow Talk, from the Doris Day comedy that earned her an Oscar nomination for Best Actress. The title song is performed over the opening credits and tries to blend in some of that newfangled rock and roll sound with an orchestral flair that served Doris Day's voice well. Like Gidget, the title song for Pillow Talk was written by two newbies to songwriting. Buddy Pepper was mostly a background actor in Hollywood who wrote some songs for two Paramount movies in 1943, but Pillow Talk, the movie, was the only film in which he worked that had any success. Ines James had worked with Buddy Pepper on the songs for those two 1943 films and worked with other songwriters on a few other movies before Pillow Talk came along. I doubt their lack of future movie song contributions after Pillow Talk was affected by their inability to secure an Oscar nomination, but neither of them worked on another movie after 1959. Of the five songs nominated for the Oscar in 1959, only High Hopes crossed over to the second Grammy Awards ceremony, which were held in November 1959, just six months after the first Grammy ceremony. These awards would honor the songs and albums released in the first nine months of 1959, and High Hopes was vying for the Song of the Year and Record of the Year awards. Paul Francis Webster was also in the running for Song of the Year, having supplied the lyrics to Like Young with Andre Previn. Frank Sinatra would be the recipient if High Hopes won Record of the Year award, and he was competing against songs by Elvis Presley and newcomer Bobby Darin. High Hopes walked away 0 for 2 at the Grammys, with Darren's Mac the Knife winning Record of the Year and Jimmy Driftwood's Battle of New Orleans taking the Song of the Year honors. After that double sting, Con and Van Heusen likely walked into the Pantages Theater for the Academy Awards ceremony the following April, more than a little nervous about their hopes for another Oscar. As was the case the previous year, 
all the songs were performed somewhat hurriedly in a five-minute medley, with none of the original performers singing that night. Goji Grant was probably the logical choice for A Stranger of the Ways of Love, and Sammy Davis Jr., who would be a big pal of Sinatra's in future Rat Pat movies, sang High Hopes instead of Sinatra. Doris Day, who could have sung all five nominated songs just as well as or better, was there as a Best Actress nominee for Pillow Talk and the presenter of the Song Award. Since the songs had just been performed, I guess she thought there was no need to list them again, so she just took the envelope and announced High Hopes as the winner. That's Oscar number three for both Sammy Kahn and Jimmy Van Heusen, tying them with Harry Warren, Ray Evans, and Jay Livingston for the most songwriting awards. Ever humble, and probably prompted by the producers to keep it brief, Kahn and Van Heusen decided to split up their acceptance speech. Kahn said, thank, and Van Heusen said, you, before exiting the stage with their Oscars. That's the first Oscar win in original song for United Artists, though they probably took some of the credit as distributor for High Noon back in 1952. It's also the third winning song performed by Frank Sinatra. Only Bing Crosby has sung more with four. I'm sure Sinatra knew that statistic and kept pushing Kahn and Van Heusen to give him two more winning songs to make him and them the king of Oscar-winning songs. So that's not the end of the story for High Hopes. Very shortly after the Oscar win, Sinatra asked his songwriters that they had a song already written that could be used as a campaign song for John F. Kennedy, the Democratic candidate for the U.S. presidency. There was no song that would necessarily fit the campaign, but the title, High Hopes, was perfect. Khan said about crafting some new lyrics, and Sinatra sang this new version, which would be heard at every stop of Kennedy's campaign. Everyone is voting for Jack Cause he's got what all the rest lack Everyone wants to back Jack Jack is on the right track Cause he's got high hopes He's got high hopes 1960's the year for his high hopes Come on and vote for Kennedy I'm not saying the song helped get JFK into the White House, but how could it not with Sinatra's voice? Van Heusen had hoped the song would put him inside Kennedy's inner circle, but Kennedy was trying to distance himself from Sinatra's inner circle because of Sinatra's connection to the mafia. Long story short, Sinatra had built a mansion in California with the hopes of making it Kennedy's Pacific Coast White House, but that didn't happen, and to make things worse, Kennedy chose Bing Crosby, a Republican, as his closest Hollywood friend. Van Heusen's biography noted that the composer, quote, felt a bitter taste in his mouth following this brush with power. Our next episode deals with movie songs written in 1960. 
And we have some history awaiting us in that year, and some of the best songwriters will be back with songs that have become iconic, and others that lasted just about as long as their films were in theaters. Either way, we'll hear all five of the nominated songs on the next episode of the Best Song Podcast, and some others that just missed the cut. Thanks as always for singing along with me, and I look forward to doing it again next time. The Best Song Podcast is not authorized or endorsed by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. The show's creator, writer, producer, and editor is Jeff Cummings. All music clips are permitted for use under the Education Clause of the Fair Use Doctrine in United States law.